Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA, Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock from right here, our home base in Charleston, South Carolina. And Robin, this is your show. Before we get started with our special guest, please give us some announcements we have to start every show with. Yeah, so if you love this show, and I know you will, please um, leave a comment and share it. And if you would, please also follow me on Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski, and Facebook, The Learning Ring. It helps us reach more families, and I would be so grateful. Well done. Now, I have said this every show. Every time Robin brings a guest into the studio, you know you're getting your A game. So let me introduce our guest. And uh, and Susan, you got a lot of you know, big shoes to fill here. So don't get nervous. All right. Susan Antonelli, did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Is a fourth-generation educator. Amazing. She started her career as a third-grade teacher at an arts-infused school. And that experience ignited a passion for providing children with opportunities to experience the arts, and we have learned how important that is through these many podcasts. Over the past 26 years, she has worked as a preschool teacher, college adjunct professor, grant writer, and professional development leader. Currently, she serves as the Senior Director of Educational Strategy and Engaging Creative Minds, where, as you know, Robin Berlinski is the Executive Director. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So, Robin... Big friends here. Big I, I want friends. you to welcome oh Susan in your grand style. So here's our history. I have to tell you, we taught school together. So I was also at that school, the arts infused school, taught teaching fifth grade, right? Yep. And I know I moved to first, but I think that's when I met you. Susan was teaching third grade. I was teaching fifth grade. Loved her the moment I met her. She is a brilliant educator, but she's really grounded. And I'm going to tell a story about her because when she had her job interview, she um, had two different shoes on. I, Accidentally, I, I, and, I was going to say, yeah. did you do that on purpose? And no, really and was an she accident? admits it. And you got she, dressed in the dark? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is what I love because she's up here in brilliance, but she will admit she had two different shoes on. Like she is so grounded, and these are the kinds of people, this kind of energy, I gravitate toward. Sorry, I had to tell that story. Well, I got out of my car and realized it. I mean, I was right out of college. So an 8 a.m. interview was like 5 a.m. now, you know, and, and I, I knew it. I, so I just went in and owned it right away. I and said, I want you to know I know I have two different shoes on. Yep, the elephant in the room. Did yeah. somebody point it out to you or did you mention I it? I pointed it out first. Like, I wanted to be the first one to say good it. Good for you. Yep. So, so smart. Yeah. So smart. So, yeah, we were friends first and then it only strengthened over the years. And I have to say it was about six years ago when I was just starting out and engaging creative minds. And I knew I needed a brilliant educator. I needed somebody who understands teachers because we at first we're selling programs, which we know sales is important. Sure. And I begged her and she came back. So we're we're just so lucky. Okay, so arts-infused school. I have learned from my relationship with Robin and these many years how critically important arts in the classroom, would you say, is or are? Arts is, arts are. Arts are. education is. Is, okay. Yeah. Arts yeah. education is. Please, in your own words, Susan, and I, I totally am on board with this, why is it so important? It gives children other ways of learning and demonstrating their understanding and also experiencing success. And I think for me, the the first moment I really saw the power of the arts for children was my first year of teaching. Um, I had a student in my class, a little boy, 
And um, I don't want to say too much about him because it's his, you know, personal life and his personal story. But he was a very challenging student for me. Um, he had academic difficulties. He had behavioral difficulties. And I was really muddling through that year with him. And in the spring semester, we had a mime come to our school and do a special project with the third grade, which is, you know, what I was teaching. And um, that meant that my class got to have this special session with this mime every day that week. And there was going to be a little showcase on Friday afternoon for the whole school. So about midweek, the mime comes to me and says, hey, this kid, this little boy, I see something in him. I want to feature him Friday afternoon in the show. And, you know, my initial reaction, if I'm being honest, was why should he get to do that? You know, he, he's, he's bad. He, do, he doesn't behave. He doesn't listen. You know, why should he get to do something special? Pick a kid who behaves to get to do something special. But fortunately, I stifled that response. And I just said, you know, it's your show. I can't promise you that he's going to do what you think he's going to do when the moment comes because he's very unpredictable. But, you know, go for gold do whatever you want to do. So the show comes around, the whole school comes into the cafetorium, sits down. It's like the last 20 minutes of the day. And every third grade class does their little five minute presentation. And this was something our school used to do that was a really great community building experience. We would have these little short assemblies from time to time and let the kids perform for each other. And so my class goes and he's up there, and, you know, kind of is regular, doesn't do anything special or doesn't do anything bad. And so then I think it's over and I'm not really sure what they were talking about. And then I realized he's not back with my class. He's still up on the stage and he's walking across the stage sweeping with this big broom and the room kind of goes quiet because nobody knows what's going on. And then here comes the mime from the other side of the stage and he's sweeping and you've probably seen this shtick before. They're both sweeping and they back into each other and then they're both startled by each other and they kind of you know, turn around and, and they have this moment of like, what are you doing? And all this is mimed and there's no speaking, but it's all, you know, what are you doing here? This is my job. What are you doing here? I'm the sweeper. And so they kind of mime this argument. And then the adult mime like comes up with the solution and he goes and gets this big radio and you can see they're going to have a dance off and they're going to like have this dance off for who's going to get to sweep. And so this music starts playing and the, the, the grown male, you know, mime starts dancing and he's funny. I mean, it's comedic. And then he sort of throws the challenge at my kid and this little boy starts dancing. And I didn't know he could dance. And he's got all the popular moves. He's breaking it down. And the school starts going nuts. And they proceed to kind of like throw it back and forth to each other. And it was incredible. This little boy was an incredible dancer I'm standing in the back crying because I had no idea he had this in him. I had never seen this side of him. I'm watching my own class cheer and cheer for him. And these are kids who hadn't really been his friends because he was kind of annoying. And, um, and it was just this one of these magical moments that's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle to explain what it was like and what it meant for not only that little boy to be affirmed by the entire school in a way that he had never been affirmed and celebrated, but also for me as a teacher to see him in a completely different light and see that, you know, there's a lot to this kid that I don't know. And there's a lot to this kid that he can offer. And my job as a teacher is to help him find those parts of himself and bring those things out. And I won't say that everything was perfect from that moment on. I mean, we, we still struggle, but the, the poles shifted a little bit and um, his relationship with his peers shifted, you know, 
I shifted in the way I saw him and what I expected from him. And, um, and it was just a really powerful moment. And from then on, I thought, this is magic. Like, I've got to figure out how I can use this for the rest of my life and my work with children. Well, kudos to the mime for seeing something in the kid. But what did he see that you didn't see? You know, I think sometimes for, for teachers, especially classroom teachers, when you have the same group of kids all day, every day, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the mundane and in the, you know, the aggravation of the misbehaviors or the frustration that they're not understanding what you're teaching. It's just, it's easy to see them in a box. And I think the mime came in and first of all, engaged him in totally different activities than I was doing. These were movement-based activities. These were about communication with your body. And that wasn't something I was doing in my classroom. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, Robin, about movement and the power of movement for children. But, you know, this mime came in and saw, hey, this kid can move, you know, and he identified something I hadn't seen. And that was part of what was so important for me to learn. That was a huge learn for me as a first year teacher. And Ron, we see that a lot in what we do at Engaging Creative Minds because our work with teachers will be the sometimes the first time they're exposed to this. And we will sometimes get, oh, you can't do that with my students. And there's many reasons, but they're not sure it will work. And then it's not until they actually see them sing or dance or create something that they realize, oh, this, you know, my students just needed a different modality. So that's really a lot of what we see. So Susan, was that an epiphany moment for you? Did you start looking at your kids in a different light from that moment on? Definitely. Absolutely. And it made me as a teacher determined to learn more about every art form because my personal background with the arts was in music. I was an arts kid growing up, which I think is one of the reasons I was interested in teaching in an art school. Um, but I hadn't really realized that if I was going to you know, reach all my students, I needed to learn a little bit about everything. I needed to become sort of a generalist in the arts. And it, and it motivated me to, to really set my own path and be responsible for my own professional development. But well, we all know uh, from our own history why art in the classroom is so important. But why is there constantly a fight? It seems like, and Robin, you've told me this, whenever there is a budget challenge, arts is the first thing to go, and it should be the last thing to go. What argument can you help us you know, put out here that would let people know you really need to look at this in a different way? I think we have to see children as whole human beings and not just little producers of math equations and you know test scores and and it's a struggle because you know you have these different layers in the education community where you have the policymakers who aren't necessarily connected to the people doing the work and i believe i truly believe in my heart that everyone involved at every level has the best interest of children best interest of children at heart they want good things for the children of our communities but we, we, you know, we don't always have clear communication back and forth about what that looks like. So it, I think it's an easy thing to say, well, we're going to cut out this art form because we don't have the money. We can't cut the reading teacher. Sure. So who are we going to cut? Um, and it's just incumbent on us as teachers to be vocal and speak up about what we know works. Well, you've done something I understand that a lot of people talk about doing and never do, which is you wrote a children's book. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, I wrote a couple that were for early readers. So I kind of get teased when I say I, I wrote a children's book because they're for developing readers. So it's like a sentence on <laughs> each page, That's okay. but yes, they, they're real. And you know, what's funny is we just got a royalty check and like this one that I had, 
we got all this money on and, and I mean that's all this money like a couple hundred dollars but that's a lot you know and the topic is corn and I think it's because of that corn song <laughs> that is really popular and I think all these early childhood boy? teachers yeah the, the little, little boy, boy on TikTok. Talks about, and they've made uh-huh. songs about it and now I think everybody wants Your the corn big book popular <laughs> the corn book yeah, but don't uh, don't you know uh, don't not take the accolades. I Thank guess you. is a terrible Thank way you. of saying right. that. Yes. You know how many people try to get into the mind of a child? Yeah. I mean, what is that? Yeah. That is an art form. In, Thank in you and very itself. much. Thank you. You can't just write the, the the book is, you know, the sky is blue. Hey, this there's page one. Well, and I'll tell you, it's hard to write a book when you have a very limited vocabulary set for like, I mean, it was for like kindergarten, first grade readers. There's not a whole lot you can say, so you have to really be creative about, you know, what words you're going to use and and what story you're going to tell. So it was a lot of fun doing it. I also understand that you come from education royalty as a fourth generation educator. That alone is amazing. Tell me also about your mother. My mother was Lucy Beckham, so she is a pretty well-known, at least in the local area, educator. She um, was the principal of Wando High School and was the national principal of the year. I can't remember what year that was, but... um, I did not know that. Yeah, she was a is a big not moment. Surprised, but yeah, I did not she got know. to meet President Obama in the Oval Office, and it was it was a moment. Did you go? I wasn't invited. Oh, <laughs> ouch! It, she, nobody was invited. I mean, <laughs> okay. she was invited. You ouch know, she right. she didn't get to bring an entourage, or we would have all gone. <laughs> well, so what is it about your upbringing that made you decide at some point? Well, this is where I'm going, also, and will your children, presuming you have some or will have some? Will they also be following in your footsteps? That's a big question. So, yeah, it's interesting. We, we call it sometimes we laughingly call it a genetic curse, but we, you know, um, but we love our profession. So that's just a joke when we say that my, you know, all the way from my great grandmother who ran a little a one school, one room schoolhouse in the upstate and had, I think she told me upwards of 80 students at a time. Wow. To my grandmother was an algebra teacher, my mother, and then, um, you know, me, my daughter is a senior at, in, in high school and she's playing major in education. Wonderful. At Clemson, so we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh yeah, I must point out, I see a <laughs> yes. Carolina T-shirt or shirt on Robin and a Clemson shirt on Susan. <laughs> We're gonna get to that Didn't in a minute. Rivalry, a yes. So it's just you know, I knew from the moment. I could think about a job, I mean, that I wanted to be a teacher. When I was three years old, I would line up my stuffed animals and and teach them. So I just, I think there's something about it. I don't know if it's because I was raised by educators or or if it's just a calling. I do think it's a calling. Um, I don't know if they're generational callings, but apparently there is in my family. So I'm proud of that. You know, there's, that's, it's a, and my husband's a principal and my brother's an art teacher. Wow. So we, we have a lot of this, of conversations around dinner tables that are very education focused. So in spite of all the family members who are educators and that whole lineage, did you have a favorite teacher along the way who was very inspirational? Oh, I had, I had several. Yes. And, um, Especially, you know, I think it's it's kind of tragic because I taught third grade, but you tend to kind of remember your high school teachers sometimes. The mo- they stand out to you the most. Um, so I, I did. I had Robin Rogers was my choral teacher in high school. Again, the arts are such a powerful motivator for for kids, and I loved being in the show choir. That was really an anchor experience for me in high school. So yeah, I had a, I had a lot of wonderful teachers. And back to Susan's mother. You know, there's a high school named after her mother, Lucy Beckham High. In Mount Pleasant. And his, that's the, the history. That's her mother. Oh, my goodness. Yes. How cool is that? I Very told cool. them. They, they said they want, you know, she she passed away and they, they came. They were 
getting ready to build the new school and they said they wanted to name it after her and I said well she'll haunt you if it's not good you better be careful <laughs> <laughs> she wanted excellence above all it better so be good. Better make sure it's right yeah so I know that we tend to not talk a lot about engaging creative minds on this podcast but from my standpoint because th- this is your show Robin and you don't typically brag about yourself but I can brag about you please tell us what Engaging Creative Minds is all about and why it's been so successful in the Low Country. Well, it's all about the arts and um, educating through experiences. And I was at the Children's Museum as the director of education and thought I, it would be really great to engage with this new program coming to Charleston that was going to bring the arts back into the classrooms as the budgets cut them. And I thought how great the Children's Museum can be part of this. And when I went and learned about how engaging these arts experiences are and how teachers learn by doing and by watching their own children in a classroom, I, I had to to you know apply for this job and get this position um and it has been the most exciting ride ever since i was handed a binder in 2013 literally a binder that was a planning workbook that this brilliant group of educators put together and they said now go make that happen i had to go get a stapler and a p.o box and a bank account and an accountant and then the first thing i did was hire susan because something as rich as arts education needs to be presented to teachers by teachers because we get it we understand the way it works it's not just about a sales pitch or a program it's about we hear you we understand we've done it here's how it works so it's a great model for using um, working with uh, local arts communities artists uh, cultural organizations and going into classrooms and being able to experience like Susan did a mime that might teach math or science and seeing kids engage in different ways a question for both of you, what kind of pushback did you get in the early days, even though teachers are teaching teachers, there must have been a lot of folks who were kind of set in their ways and, oh no, I do it this way and I'm not going to try that. How do you how do you win them over? I wouldn't say we had a lot of that. It was really money. We have no money. There's no money. We have no money. But it, then the districts started embracing it. And so they fund it. So the schools are receiving these. So it's a welcome opportunity. And we work in grade level teams. So to your point, there may be a third grade team and there might be one teacher that's a little reluctant, you know, maybe not in my classroom. Mm -hmm. It might work for them, but I have these kids, whatever these kids are. So we've gotten that. But do you have any other suggestions? Yeah. I mean, sometimes people are apprehensive. They don't understand what it is. And we just try to be gentle and support them through the planning. We have a really established planning process so that they can feel confident we're not going to waste their instructional time. And that we're definitely standards focused and and that what our artist is doing in the room is really going to help their kids learn the stuff they need them to learn. It's not just like a random, you know, let's waste time and, and cut and dance and glue stuff. So, you know, it's meaningful and usually it just takes that first experience and they love it. And then we get teachers coming back to us wanting more and it, and it just spreads. The word of mouth spreads. Well, Susan, from your standpoint, let's say you're an expert at what you do, but you don't have that energy to convey the enthusiasm to the class. That's the impasse. You obviously have the energy. How important is bringing energy into the classroom? It's crucial, you know, which Robin speaks about eloquently. And I I think it can kind of be a chicken and an egg. And what I have found with teachers is if we can get them to embrace this style of teaching, finding these arts 
focused lessons that are going to engage their kids. It actually makes teaching joyful. It energizes you as a teacher. I've had so many teachers tell me that, like, you've helped me fall in love with my profession again, because I didn't realize how fun teaching could be. I was really stuck, you know, in these boring, antiquated methods, and and these new methods have given me fresh wind. Well, let's use your famous mom as an example. Before you became an educator, obviously she would come home from work and you would hear stories of the day. And what about her and her passion for education did you adopt and and you saw that light? You say it was a generational thing. Somehow you inherited this desire to be an educator. It's a tough job. A really tough job. It is a tough job, and I saw how hard she worked. She worked really hard at it, but my mom had a drive for excellence. She's very competitive, and she was going to just make it happen. She was just a determined human being, and I think I learned a lot about about that just by watching her. She was going to do what was best for kids, no matter what, no matter who got mad about it. If it was best for kids, that's what was going to happen on her watch. That's pretty outstanding. Now, would you offer that as a suggestion to other educators who want to make things happen because it sounds like it's it's constantly a fight you're constantly having to push for excellence in the classroom you got to champion the kids it reminds me of rosemary myers who started ashley river creative arts and then the school of the arts same thing die on the hill for those kids yeah and i think that you can go home and, and look yourself in the mirror and sleep well when you know that you've done everything in your power to make life better for kids to make their learning experience richer you know, there's always going to be the nonsense, the fights, the political stuff that, that never goes away. So I think you just have to do what you can do to the best of your ability, and, and then you have peace. I'm not sure either of you are old enough to answer this, but in either case, do you have somebody from your past that you taught who came back to you as an older person and just said, it's because of you that I'm this, or it's because of you that I was able to do this. I'm sure you must have a special story, each of you. Yeah, I've had several wonderful interactions with former students, and it's always so precious and special. But I did have, I was presenting a professional development workshop one time for preschool teachers, and I had a former student show up. She's now a teacher, and she said, I became a teacher because of you, Miss Antonelli. Oh, wow. And I just like, you know, Love melted that. at that. So it's it's wonderful to just, anytime you see a former student and they remember you and remark on being in your class that's that's probably the greatest reward you have as a teacher it really is yeah i've had several students and you know i teach at the college and i've done that for 24 years so sometimes it's like i had one t- i think once i've had a fifth grader who was then one of my students at the college so i had him twice which was really interesting but um i get it more from my college students i don't know why maybe i wasn't a good fifth grade teacher <laughs> you were <laughs> i'm sure you were terrific well susan what is a typical day like for you how do you manage all these different activities and, and everything else you're doing with engaging creative minds and and all your other education pursuits i think my biggest thing i've had to learn to do is recognize that i don't have a typical day and i just have to and go with the flow it that way. right well you just go with the flow and you know i think that's a kind of a key to success in life that I've learned here at my ripe old age that, you know, it's great to have a plan, but if it doesn't work, you just got to make the most of what comes your way and deal with it. And so, but most of my days I'm, I'm, you know, working on ECM projects. I'm going out and meeting with schools and teachers and 
it's just a whole variety of, of things that I do, meeting new artists, trying to bring them into our program. Um, and I love it. I love that every day is different. I think it keeps it challenging. Yeah. And I would say, I love that you just said that if you are an artist locally, um, we're in Berkeley, Charleston, Dorchester 2, Dorchester 4. And we really need artists up in the areas of Berkeley, Dorchester counties, because we started here in Charleston. So we have so many of these artists established. If you know of artists and you're listening to the show, please reach out to Susan. At yep. Or you could um, hello at engagingcreativeminds.org is a great email to use. Yep. Let us know because we're really, we, we, um, respect artists. We want to support them. We always pay them for their work. We don't ask for free uh, anything from them. We want to build capacity in the art community as we build capacity in the classrooms. That's remarkable. So let me just clarify something you said earlier. Were you, Susan, actually the first hire that uh, Robin made when she took over Engaging Creative Minds? I think there was an operations person because, you know, yeah. you got to do the math and the numbers and everything. Sure. But educationally, yes, it was Susan. And have you exceeded your expectations uh, thus far, or uh, you still have places to go? Oh, I know that's an unfair that's question. A hard with Robin question. Sitting right here. No, I, I'm I'm thrilled with my work because now that we, you know, ECM continues to expand, and we've moved out into the state level now. We've we've left just the low country, and we're working with districts around the state. So I feel like we have a lot of work left to do, and I'm I'm excited about it. Right, well, before we say goodbye, uh, Robin, please remind the audience where they need to well, go when they love this show. First of all, I'm going to comment on our attire, because when you go to Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski, you will see a photo of Susan and me here in our Clemson and our garnet. Um, Susan's family bleeds orange. I just want you to know, but does she have time to really quick tell us about the rock? I think so. Go. Tell us about that. Well, a great, great, great uncle was close friends with Frank Howard, and he gave Frank the rock. He brought it back from Death Valley, California. So that's my claim to fame as a Clemson fan. And for anyone listening who is not familiar with Clemson, the players touch the rock as they run down to the field and home games. Yes. So, I so do basically, not, I gave the rock to Clemson. You did. That is <laughs> you cool. did. And I do not bleed garnet, but I wear it to tease Susan. My daughter did go to the University of South Carolina. They are rivals, and I love to tease Susan. And she's lucky I told her I was wearing it because I was going to just do it. Yeah. So that. So that would be just me. That would have been bad. But please, if you like this show, leave a comment and share it. Please follow me on Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski, and Facebook, The Learning Ring. It helps us reach more families, and I would be so grateful. Yes, and we always invite your questions and comments. Just to remind you again, go to Robin Berlinski, R-O-B-I-N-B-E-R-L-I-N-S-K-Y dot com, where you can leave questions and uh, get information as you wish. You're listening You've been listening, should I say, to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski with our special guest today, Susan Antonelli, in the studio. Thank you, Susan, for being with us. Uh, in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski is the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. And we're heard nationally where refined podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we'll see you next time from Energy Matters in the Classroom, Robin Berlinski. Bye for now. <laughs>